Black Cats Run podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll. This is Black Cats Run. Today's episode, part two of my conversation with Paige Kostanecki. We go through the looking glass once more, turning upside down, inside out. So many of our preconceived notions of what the experience of being an athlete is, as we discuss what the experience maybe could or should be. You can follow Paige on Instagram at WillBikeForCats. You can follow her team, ButcherBox Cycling, at ButcherBox Cycling. And you can follow us at Black Cats Run. Send us a message. Let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Let's get into today's episode. Well, I think that pathway of being miserable, too, and then you could ask the question, like, in terms of, like, the structure of vulnerability, are we, like, in a broader sense, primed for that? Because I, I think one question you could ask is that I think some of these things apply to every, obviously, to everybody trying to do cycling, and, and then I would say, by further extension, anything where people are trying to, quotes, quotes, perform at something. And then you could also then try to, again, sort of from that cultural, anthropological, sociological point of view, if you say, well, what are the sort of unique characteristics for, say, women's uh, cycling and, you know, that experience as it compares to men, right? You could then ask questions like, you know, if you're a woman in these spaces and you're like, I just, this looks cool. I want to do this. The reality is you're just a person, right? But then culture says, no, you're not a person, you're a woman. And then you have to now deal with the way to all of these constructs Right. And does that, you know, a does that put pressure to then like prove even above that? And is that in maybe that even heightens that vulnerability further of like, I need to be a fucking martyr in order to like be respected. Um, And then you also think about this idea in our culture when we think about like mental health and well-being, like uh, one idea is that for creative people, it's important that they're depressed and that when they take antidepressants, they can't be creative anymore. And I don't want to minimize um, the concepts or the at play in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but it's certainly true that one takeaway from that is if you have mental health problems, being medicated is bad. And the reality is if you're experiencing, say, feelings of depression... And then you do something about that. Usually what happens is you just eliminate, you just cut out the part where you feel depressed and then you get to feel good all of the time, right? And that's when the, and then guess what? Good things happen. And flow psychology, if, and I don't know if you've run across this concept on your own and if you haven't, from some of the things you're saying, I imagine this will click with you. But this, I um, can't remember the psychologist's name, but the book is just called Flow, and it came out a while ago. But it just, it says basically that 
there's this optimal relationship between how challenging something is and our level of skill. And when those things are balanced, that's when we get in the zone and we feel good, right? And you're like, you're saying that it's not about just like kicking back, you know, and, you know, drinking beer, like, oh, I need to be retired so I can just drink beer all the time, you know? And I think a lot of people think that, again, like the idea is to be complete, you know? And for, you know, I think again about my grandfather um, who was a gynecologist for 50 years and he did that until he was 80 and he died when he was 86. And a lot of people would say, well, that's a tragedy. Um, and he had uh, dementia, but um, like he did that. And like, that's what he was some fortunate person and that he was doing what he wanted to do. Um, and he was the first physician in this community to perform abortions um, and he would, people would come by this house and they would throw rocks and bricks through the windows. And, you know, one of the things that he said, and one of his medical partners, you know, quoted this at his funeral was, you know, my grandfather liked to say that it's tough to be a woman. That's why women are so tough. And I think that maybe there's some additional truth to that in the conversation that we're talking about, where is it even harder to do this? as a woman. And on the one hand, that's not right and it's not fair, but like, what is the significance of that adversity, right? Because you do have to be tougher, but maybe what we're sort of stabbing at is that there's a right way to be tough and then there is a wrong way to do that. And like when you're saying like, why am I going to the gym? Why do I want to go out and do this now? I mean, I, in my own way, I will go out and I'll, I'll exercise. And, you know, for me, feelings of, um, you know, athletic inadequacy are something that I've sort of moved past in a lot of ways, you know, and I've accepted the fact that I am not going to be at the level of some of my family members. And that's, to me now, I don't care um, because my concept of what's meaningful about this stuff has changed. Um like going on, you know, making my own podcast and talking nonstop for as long as I possibly can before passing out, example, right, of the ultimate form of fulfillment. But if I go out and I exercise, a couple of weeks ago, you know, my leg was like totally messed up and I really shouldn't have been out. And I'm like, well, it's Sunday. I got to go out and do my 17 miles, you know, and I'm going along and not only is leg hurt, but the whole body is not having it. And I'm having like this total internal struggle of like, I can't just go back. Like if I go back, that's bad. But I, I ended up deciding, I forced myself, I'm going to get to the end of this road. I'm going to take this left and I'm just going to do seven miles, which of course for me, because I'm comparing this to whatever I now, as far as I'm concerned, did zero. And I came in the house and I immediately started justifying myself to my wife, not because I need to, but because to her it's, and that's an internal issue, right? Of that, and I think it's like an ongoing struggle. And I, I think that when we only listen to this idea of like, well, the elite people are just really tough and they handle it because they're tough. Like, is that a destructive narrative? Because I'm thinking that a lot of people are vulnerable. And I think for different groups of people in our society trying to engage in these different things, I think the vulnerabilities are unique. And when we don't talk about those vulnerabilities in a constructive way, do we open up, right, for that 
because the vulnerability doesn't have to be bad, right? Like there's constructive ways to respond to that. And it could be really good to go from a state of vulnerability and not knowing. And then, hey, I'm, I'm growing and I'm becoming and this is awesome. But I feel like you see people who get sucked into these spaces. And, you know, again, that's one of the reasons like talking to you on the podcast here of like trying to put out these messages of like, hey, you know, like a lot of this is doing this on your own and that doesn't have to be bad, but we need to have dialogue about the stuff that we're, we're seeing out there. Like we can't just take whatever we come across and just because somebody's got X amount of followers and they take pictures on a bicycle, we have to be a little more discerning, right? But that has to be learned. You have to bring that knowledge to be discerning from somewhere. Well, I think, and it's conversations like this or just hearing, because the whole thing of being like, well, I set out to do 17 miles. So if I don't do that, then it's going to be, then I, seven miles is zero. Like that whole mindset I relate to so much. And I know that so many other people would also relate to that. And I think that is what makes it tough, especially for women cycling is because we also have not no knocks on the men, but we typically have more going on in our lives, uh, whether it's because there's less money for women cycling. Most of us have full-time jobs. A lot of folks have families, you know, and, and there's plenty of guys who are staying at home and doing that as well. But a lot of times it falls on the woman. And you'll hear announcers say, and this is amazing, folks. She's also a mom or she also has this profession. And it is amazing. I do have a lot of respect, but it there has to be some kind of balance where, where we are more forgiving as a sport and a society to say, you know what, you were tired today because you were dealing with your kid who has been having tantrums. And so your 17 mile run is now a seven mile run, or you hurt yourself. And that's the re you know what I mean? Like there has to be a balance where we can appreciate that it is tougher. We have more things going on in our lives. And so the act of competing and training can have more gravity to it. And that is true. And that should be respected and acknowledged. But also, I do feel like there has to be a little bit of normalization occurring for these positive things to be like, yeah, she has a job. She has a job. She has a job. Like we can have all these other things and, and still be successful. It's not, she's still winning the bike race, even though she's a mom. Well, or I, yeah. I have you such know? mixed feelings about because that. She's a mom either. It's just right. those are all the different aspects of her life, you know? And so I think that even sometimes like, um, like my dad was in a wheelchair. Uh, and I, so, you know, I don't mean to speak for all people who uh, have a disability or something, but they don't want to walk around being told that they're inspirations all the time. It makes right. them feel outside and right. other. We just want to be one of the dudes. Right. Like I went to a comedy show, Nick Mullen. He's so amazing. Jillian and I went actually. And he has a joke about a guy in a wheelchair. And I'm laughing my ass off because he just nailed my dad. Right. And this woman starts heckling him for being ableist. And I'm like, they want to make, they want to have jokes. Like we have jokes, right? Like they want to be made fun of, like we're made fun. Like they want to be part of it. And so I think that there's something like that, not that like women are, you know, whatever. That's not what I'm trying to say, but like, you know, communities that are uh, more marginalized or smaller compared to another segment of that community. 
we get caught on either being put on a crazy pedestal or just pushed away. And I think that there has to be some sort of middle ground that'll make it more inviting because someone might say, well, I can't have a family and be a cyclist, or I can't have a job and be a cyclist. Or maybe if I'm not doing 10 things at once, I'm not going to be considered successful. So now we have these two different balances of either you can only do one thing or you must do 20. And that is so much. It kind of makes you want to not do anything. When you spend, they say, look at her. She's a mom. To me, I kind of feel like they're saying, don't forget this is a woman doing this. Like that's Mm. kind of how I see Mm -hmm. that. Again, we should sell. We it is something to celebrate. It is an amazing thing, and I do have so much much respect. But there has to be. There are other. I don't. It's such a fine thing. It's a razor's edge to to celebrate that. To not make it the defining feature of that person, and to not make it sound like they're being successful despite it, like it's some well, kind of anchor. Like that's how it just, sounds. Yeah, right? it just. It, it 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 comes on it can come off wrong and i'm sure it's we all bring our own issues and you know and then we perceive people's words based on what we're bringing to the table but and and i listen I love to talk. You and I could be on a podcast for five hours. I still uh, have a lot of sympathy for announcers who are up there trying to think of things to say for 10 hours a day. But like, you know, it is just kind of uh, there just needs to be, I feel like, a cultural shift in, in a more balanced way of talking about women and women in sport. I think I'm not the authority on what is and is not discriminatory or what or is not sexist, but I think it would be pretty uninformed to claim that there aren't prevailing sexist attitudes in all athletics and in culture in general. The idea that we're somehow beyond that, I think, is moronic. Um, you know, you see it all the time. But And I think sometimes what's the most powerful indicator of that stuff is the stuff that, like, I mean, to transfer from the concept of racism as a metaphor, like, there's, I think a lot of people have this naive idea that racists think they're, no, they're racist. Like, no, like that's your worldview. And when you're saying, oh, they're a mom, look at this mom. I feel like to me, it's like things like that aren't insignificant. They signify in very profound ways. And to me, it's like the fact that you think that it makes sense to say that and that you would defend saying that is the sexism right there. And, you know, the other aspect of that is, I mean, I guess not the other because there are multiple, but another thing that comes to mind for me as I'm thinking about this is, like, the other message is it's like, okay, so you're like, it's like this idea that if you're female, there's like, you have like your life, and then you inevitably become a mom. And like... And then, like, it's like you've metamorphosized, you've gone through some liminal state, and now society sees you differently. I think, now, historically, that's been true, right? This isn't, I mean, it's been actually way more severe in the past, so we're seeing a continuation of that historical idea of that transition from, you know, maidenhood to matronhood, if you will. And it's, as a person who likes 
history. I don't always like the things that I see in history, but I like because of the power of understanding that it can bring. I look at stuff like that, and I think a part of the challenge is the way, like when people use phrases like microaggression, you know, and whatever, I think there aren't really microaggressions and macroaggressions. It's like either your perspective is fucked or it's not. And like you don't like Jillian, you know, makes the says all the time. And I do think it's actually a good point um, that as much as it pains me to admit that I do think it's a good point that like nobody says, oh, they're a dad, you know, and nobody says, oh, by the, because again, it, nobody says, oh, by the way, this is a man. Because it's like, well, it's a man. So obviously, right? Nobody, but oh, because again, the saying you're a mom, it's like, let me emphasize to you. And, you know, that, and I think mom is, I don't think it has to be like this. And I, my, my mother is a very, you know, well-educated, intelligent, independent person. Um, and, you know, all of those things. And. So I don't say this with a negative connotation, but like my mother is not a mother. She's a person. She happened to be very skilled in in executing that part of her life. But that's not, she's not a mom. I mean, she's my mom, but she's not mom to society. She's, she's Becky, you know? And like, but my mother doesn't want people to like refer to her as her identity is not being a mom. And that I feel like, that idea that you're, a, it's like demeaning. It's like, well, you're doing this athletic thing, you're achieving, and it's like, you know what's important that we think about right now? Mm-hmm. That you're a mom. And that's <laughs> so. Awful. So you know what I think, what I think it is, because there are some people, I have friends who I'm like, my sister's like, all of my sister wants, like since she was little, is to have like a million children. And like some people take a lot of, I'm not- There's I'm nothing not, wrong with that if that's what, there's, I'm where not you criticizing, are. That's right. I'm not criticizing anyone who's like, I'm, I want my identity to be a mom. What I'm saying is in sports specifically, in this, in this arena specifically, I think the way to uh, combat this is to talk about all the other things about the person if it's just look at her on a bike did you know she's also a mother anyways like it has to be all the other things because men also will get this too this also happens in women's cycling but like if if there's an older guy in the pro field or an older woman they'll just be like can you believe it tristan is 55 years old you're not but you know i'm as actually an example, 63 just so the listeners old, know and he's still in here with the young guns i'm like that is a cool fact and that that is really great but it's like, also ages as fuck Right. If that's the only thing you said about him and every time he comes around, you remind the like, like there's got to be other things. I believe that there's other things we can come up with other things to say. I feel I, I feel it in my bones that we can. So like it can't. So I think what what is important is to diversify the way that we talk about other people. And and I think it's also a good lesson to how we conduct ourselves to to make sure that again going back to this isn't just my one thing there are other facets facets of my personality that are also important and i'm not defined 
by this one thing. And I actually make a conscious effort because cycling can end for me at any point in time, whether that's injury, whether that's funds, whether that's life in general, it could end at any time. So if I tie my identity and personality up into not just racing, but cycling in general, I'm fucked. Right. So what I like to say to myself and to other people uh, is that my identity is not a cyclist. That's not my personality. I love to be outside. I love to be outside. Right. So as long if that is my personality, then I can I can transition to trail running or I can just walk around my neighborhood. Or if God forbid, knock on wood, someone can just push me out and set me on the porch or in a field and I can just sit there and enjoy the day. Whatever my mental, physical state is, if my personality is liking outside, then that's a pretty easy thing to fulfill no matter what happens. And so I think that we need to be diverse people internally. And then we also need to encourage announcers, other fans, your mom, other people to, to regard people as, as the full picture of the person instead of, uh, uh, boiling them down to one thing and then just repeating it until we're blue and blue in the face. And it comes back, I think too, or we could relate that back to something we talked about earlier of, when you have a voice, you also have a responsibility. And I think maybe not everybody thinks about that or sees it that way. And obviously there's a behavior of, I'm going to put out there whatever I need to put out there to get the most people to engage with my platform or my thing that I'm trying to create or develop. And I think maybe that's a norm that needs to change. Because again, this idea of like, you know, it's like you have a first amendment right you know, if we want to talk about a political concept, you do have a right to speak freely. But I think it's also implied in being a citizen that you have a civic responsibility to use that in a way that's constructive. You know, that right doesn't isn't wasn't designed with the idea of, oh, this is good. Now people can be horrible to each other. And if you're going to broadcast and you're going to do that, you have a responsibility to do that in a, a meaningful way. And you have a responsibility to, to be informed, you know? I mean, I think or a lot I of our rights, should. yeah. I mean, the constitution, the, all of that stuff, you know, it was written in the mind that we all have to live with each other. We're in a community, whether it's, you know, small like it was back then or like a more, something more global now. Um, the response, you know, whether or not you want to accept that responsibility, you're not the only one on planet earth. And even if you want really want to isolate yourself, there's going to be at least one or two people around you who are in contact with you typically. And so like, you're fine. Your responsibilities are those two people, but like, you know, all of these things uh, were conceptualized uh, under the assumption that we're in a community. And so, you know, that's what I really try to do with my own social media um, and to talking with people in person on a podcast, whatever it is, you know, I don't have to take on as much responsibility as maybe I have or do sometimes, but like, I really do feel that it's important that if we have experiences, uh, uh, that aren't talked about, but are probably shared and, and different vulnerabilities that they should be shared. If you're in a good mental and emotional place to talk about it, because, uh, you never know who will hear that and benefit it 
benefit from it or be hurt by it. So like, we really do have to be mindful. You know, I'm not saying like, you know, over police yourself or police others, but to just remind ourselves, you know, our words do have an impact on other people. And so we should choose to be as kind and constructive whenever possible. Uh, And, and we should allow people a chance we should give people chances, but we should also know when to cut it loose and be, and I'm not saying like cancel, cancel someone, but just be right. like, you know what? I'm choosing not to engage anymore. And I'm going to be over here. You'll be over there and I'll be over here doing my own thing. So I think, so I think it's important. I think that's the balance for responsibility is being like, you know, I'll, I'll give advice or make myself vulnerable to a certain extent. And when it starts to be a, an energy suck for me and I start to wilt, then it's not a selfish move to be like, I'm going to go fill my cup, refill my cup somewhere else. Well, and the broadcaster thing in particular, just you know, another thought on that domain, like, because I think a lot of people might look at that and say, well, this is, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. But like when you when you if you're a broadcaster and you're saying look at this mom look at this mom like first of all when we go to watch sport we're not going to watch moms per se right we're going to watch the performance or the competition or the dynamicism or the struggle that is you know the engaging thing and number 1 i think you demean and you simplify people's identities when you say that that's what's important, um, you know, but I also think there's this interesting phenomena where if you're a broadcaster and this is your sort of domain, like, and you, then that narrative that you create, like, I think sometimes we don't realize that when we negatively affect others, we are also negatively affecting ourselves in a very practical sense. Like you're undermining whatever potential, you know, this space might have. Because you are and like you are acting against yourself because when you engage in these styles of narrative that are demeaning, then you are disengaging you're you're sending the message to the audience that this is not legitimate. you know you're undermining that and then the irony of that is well like you as a broadcaster are negatively affected, right If you're a broadcaster in a big money sport, you know, you are financially very successful. I don't think that if you're broadcasting on American cycling races, you're making as much money as somebody commentating on a, you know, NFL or a NBA, you know, you know, national televised program, right? We're looking at, so that's the, one of the ironies of that is, you know, maybe you're, you can sort of play to this sort of like, you know, I mean, there's that quote, and, and Elon Musk, you know, idiot of the century, used this the other day, and he put it on Twitter, of, you know, of, you know, Vox Populi, Vox Day, the voice of people is the voice of God. But the whole quote, actually, and I'm paraphrasing, says, you know, people who think, you know, the voice of people, you know, is the voice of God should not be trusted, because basically the, the people are prone to madness or idiocy. You know, and, and playing to the crowd isn't always the best strategy. And, and we could then parallel to that, to, to that idea if you're trying to get into this, because that's what I, I, you know, want to see. I don't benefit from it, but I just 
feel that there's a lot of value and meaning for people if they can get into something. Like I think everybody reasonably should have the opportunity to be physically active and, and not just be active, but engage in physical activity in a way that like they're getting better at it because that just feels good. And when you structure these narratives, you limit that. And then we come back to that concept of if you're trying to get into it and we could think about if you're, if we could speak to the female cyclists listening, you know, if you're lower down in this sort of trajectory of your experience, like, and you're trying to engage in that space, like what are some things that maybe you would want those people to know? And I don't know if that's like, these are things that, you know, I used to think this and like, this is what I wish I knew, or here are other things that people might not be aware of, because I think the reality is probably the broadcasters aren't going to listen to this podcast and stop exposing all of the moms as they cross the finish line. But what can we share that is going to help could, you know, is, you know, going to help people? Cause I think that, and I think again, right. I know that for you, that kind of idea of how can I offer people something that engages them beyond is mm. very important. Mm. Well, you know, and just one more thing to the to the broadcaster point before going to the second part of what you were saying. It is representation is important. That kind of gets overused that phrasing, but it it, it is important. Um, someone who thinks, oh, I can't do this because I'm a mom might see a mom out there. It, a woman whose one aspect of their personality is mother or or life is mother may see that and be like, oh, it is possible. There so is like a duality. It is, it is, it is finding that. this balance um, of, of telling a story, uh, telling the, a, well, a well-rounded story about someone and not just honing in on one or two particular things. So I think that's, that's the key. And, and as far as, you know, helping get more women into the sport and keeping them in the sport and moving them up through the ranks, which is multi-part and, 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 and hard to do. Even if you have a bunch of resources and everything is working in your favor, it's difficult for, you know, 80 of us are trying to win a race. Only one person can win. Right. Right. I, I just, uh, I would say, I think it's important that I think it's important that we acknowledge it's it's okay it yes it is hard and it is kind of scary and that's okay if this is what you want to do you must look at that fear you must feel it and you must say so what you must say so what you cannot be worried it's hard to do but you can't be worrying about you know, what everyone else is saying, if you're f feeling crushed by all the financial barriers of all the sexist barrier of all these barriers crushing down upon you, I would single out each and then ask, so what? So this is, you know, really hard. It's extremely taxing. It's really scary. So what? And if you say so what enough times, you will eventually run out of excuses. And then you must quietly say to yourself, well, so what? Like, if this is what I want to do, then we must go forth and we must give it a try. We must do it for ourselves. And so I would advise that, that 
you check in with yourself and you ask every day, why am I doing this? And not in an accusatory way, but why am I choosing to do this? Uh, and some days it won't be a good answer. Some days it'll be because you are upset with someone or because you do feel bad about something and it won't be positive. It's not going to be positive all the time. But I think that uh, as as a younger racer moving in to the into the scene, I wish that I that I checked in more and was more actively working on my sense of self and and nurturing me. And my perception of me in the sport, instead of trying to cobble that together from from the, everyone else that I was seeing on the outside, I, I know that we have to be inspired by some people, and that's what brings us in. But but we must have some north stars that are ours only that we can return to, and that keep us grounded. Um, and I was actually pretty good with doing this. So I'll give myself a pat on the back, but like asking your community for help when you need it. Like if you do know someone in the community, do not be afraid to reach out and ask questions. You are not bothering this other bike racer or this other person who owns a bike who lives near you. Like, I think there are a lot, there is a caste system. There are a lot of barriers and can be pretty pretentious, but most of the time, cyclists can be pretty welcoming we want to share the cool cafe we want to share the route so like the easiest way to make a crabby new yorker like you know the easiest way to get them on your side is to ask them the directions to a place just ask just ask a new yorker the directions to some place they get to flex on you how well they know the city and they're going to be your friend they want to help you now so i think reaching out for help checking in with yourself having some North stars that keep you grounded when the external external world is trying to weigh down on you and asking for help uh, from those around you. You are not a burden. Your problems and your fears are not a burden, you know, especially to the ones who say that if, if I say I'm your friend, you're not a burden to me. And so we need to reach out for help when we need it. That was a little all over the place, but. Well, I, I think if it's such a, it's such a complex thing to try to like figure out how do I engage with this and I think too I think like you know to your point with the um you know like it's not to say that you can't acknowledge that hey it's I I must be hard to like have to if you have kids or have you know and especially if you like you're kind of maybe socially have taken on a significant responsibility for that Hey, that's pretty legitimate to still be able to come out and do this. Like that's worth, but it's also, it's like, so there's this weird duality of like, sometimes you say the same thing, but the way in which it's communicated and received can somehow at the same time be different, even though what you're saying isn't different. And I think that by the same token, when we say, you know, like, well, the way in which there's this like these sort of like negative things or these challenging or these intimidating social dynamics of being in these spaces um, of, you know, sport and like where it feels like, you know, some of us are outcasts and like, we're never going to get in, you know, but at the same time, I think maybe sometimes that's more of like a collective behavior. And that when you are interacting with people as individuals, maybe that's the scale on which it starts to go away. Right. Where that's sort of that like mob mentality of when people are together as a group, they might behave differently. But when you interact with people, 
you know, in, you know, more engaged contexts, you might see a different aspect of them. And maybe that's where we build meaningful relationships. It's not like in the crowd, but it's in specific. I think another thing that can be challenging for anybody, you know, trying to get into any athletic discipline or sport experience or fitness thing is the barrier of fitness, especially initially. And that I think for sometimes for people that can be overwhelming and like, for me, I had a particular kind of experience where a lot of these things about like how to engage with it and like how to, you know, react to like, if I'm not fit, I just keep exercising and I just don't worry about it because I'll just get, but it's like, that's to get to that point is like a process. And when you're like most people, I think who get into this stuff probably aren't coming from a context where you know, everybody around them is just normalizing, participating in this stuff. And where it's, an, you know, I think that aspect too of like, you go out and when you can't keep up, like, and no matter how hard you try, and you don't know what aerobic energy is, and you don't know what anaerobic is, all you know is that you're struggling and you're getting your ass kicked. And I think sometimes people go out, and they'll have that one experience and that might be it. And I think, again, you go back to the idea of like that being isolated thing, like it can cause a barrier to that too. Well, it's one of those, and it does come down now in this example to some people have it and some people don't in this, in this sense, if, and this is recreational, elite, professional, whatever, going out on the ride, getting dropped you're doing the ride of death alone you know back to the meetup i've been on group rides where i've gotten dropped and been like i don't even know where i am this is a new place i've gotten dropped i'm like looking on the maps being like well i guess i'll just make this up now thank god for gps download a route ever um so so the there there's a, a group of people who will respond being like you know what fuck this. This is stupid. And I don't want to do this because it doesn't make me feel good. This isn't for me. Right. And that's all right. It's not for everyone. But then there's another group of people who say, man, what, man, that sucked. And I feel terrible right now. I wonder what I can do next time. Right. And sometimes you can cultivate resiliency. Yeah. Resiliency, mental fortitude, like, and, and sometimes if you are unable to do that, that is a signal to you that, Maybe you're a little bit burned out. Maybe you should try something else. Maybe this isn't the sport that speaks to you. you no, know, this happens in relationships. Like you really like a person, the other person's not that into you. And then you're just like, oh man, like, like, what do I do? I want this person. And I'm like, they're just not that in. Like some matches aren't going to be perfect, you know? But if you really, enjoy, if you are like, well, I got dropped, but I still do like bikes. I still do enjoy this. Like you will figure out a way to, to uh, overcome that. Now, then you get into the barrier of being like, I guess there's coaches for this, but like, who do I contact? Like, right. man, that's expensive. Then, then it becomes a matter of like resources. And so, you know, that's why it's important for folks 
who are in my position and your position, uh, and that is a position of experience to give back. And, and I feel like you're doing that with this podcast. You're able to share your knowledge and experience as an athlete and a coach and someone who has been in this space for a, a while. You know, um, I had a coach who um, taught me how to make a cycling resume. And so I share, I would share that information on an individual basis with yeah. people and then decided to share it with, you know, the cycling community as AKA anyone who follows me or follows someone who follows me. Uh, and it was a really big hit because it's not something that was talked about and it right. wasn't a resource that was available. There's so, a need for that knowledge. There's a need because people, because there is a large population of people who want to improve, but they're just not quite sure how, and it's not laziness. It's not a lack of initiative. It's not that they're not resilient or any of those things. It is overwhelming. If you're not fucking sure, and you don't know who to talk to. And then eventually you'll be like, well, I don't know what else to do. And that's not giving up. That's just not knowing what else to do. And that is a terrible feeling. And so I really work hard to make sure that as few people feel that way as possible. And, and there will always be someone who feels that way. And I won't get through to everyone, but like, who knows who might read a post where I talk about like something that I was mentally struggling with, or who knows who might see that resume builder and be like, Oh man, like they, they just needed that one push or that one resource to, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps or, you know, have the confidence to reach out to someone else to get help. Um, so there has to be there has to be more resource and more open communication to really help people get into this sport and stay in this sport. Because if we don't have those things, all the other things that I mentioned, having a North Star, you know, asking for help, that's not going to matter if we don't have an environment where where people are able to actually do that. Yeah, I think. I mean, first of all, small aside. <laughs> thinking about getting dropped on rides and remembering how once upon a time I would go to mapmyrun.com and I would map out a loop and I'd take a piece of paper and I would write down the miles at which each thing and I'd put it in a Ziploc bag and that's how I would go out and not get lost. But you talk about barriers and, you know, there's some there's some positives like, you know, I, maybe a whoop doesn't do much, but I think like the power of like having a GPS and having a cell phone, like there's a lot of security in that for people to go out and explore this space and have more confidence to try this stuff out. I also think too, with what you're saying, like the resume sharing example, you know, as a teacher, I would say I probably walk to the parking lot every day wondering why I'm so inadequate, you know, and, and then at the end of the year, I'll have a senior or, you know, I mean, not to pump my tires, but oftentimes many people will sort of show up and I might not have seen them for two years and they'll say, this is the class where like I learned how to write and this has made such a big difference. And I had no concept that they got any sense of that value until they say something. So I think one of the things is like we're saying is maybe people maybe will be more receptive to your questions if you have them. But I also think if you're somebody who has things that you know and you might not like be the coaching guru, you know, although I, a caveat on that is, you know, I kind of feel that, and that's complex because, you know, people want to have their coaching businesses and I wouldn't, I don't want to undermine that per se, but I also feel at the same time that it's like, 
I think this knowledge should be more accessible. And, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, in the past, I used to not ask people for anything when I did it, but my wife said, well, if you're going to keep coaching people, you need to charge them at least 10 bucks a month. So now I charge people 10 bucks a month. I'm a man of my word. Um, (laughs) so, but I mean, I really feel that as much, and then I just use that to, you know, feed my interest in buying lactate test strips and stuff like that. But like, um, you know, they, uh, like making this information available if you're somebody who has things that you know, because, you know, you it also can feel uncomfortable to be like, oh, they probably don't want to hear what I think. But I think we don't realize how many people are like raising their hand, but inside. And like, it's sometimes you don't know how to ask because you don't even know what to ask. Like that idea of like, you don't even know enough about what's going on to like know what's not working. Like, you're just like, I'm like, you don't even understand why some people are faster than other people. And I think when we're, when we're way past that point, it's like tying your shoes. Like none of us remember what it was like to not know how to tie our shoes. None of us remember learning to tie our shoes, unless you, I guess, learn to do that later in life. But like everybody goes through that. And we need to remember that just because we've reached a level of competence at which certain things are automatic, doesn't mean that other people don't need that kind of support or that engagement. And, and like, again, you talk about the question of, can we define individual responsibility as like a real thing? And maybe that's something where, and maybe everybody finds their own threshold for what that is for them. But like, you know, I think reaching out and, and being helpful to people is something that might feel awkward and you might not always feel like, well, I did that and they didn't care. But like, Sometimes as people, we're like emotionally constipated and we don't know how to be grateful, you know, or we're just so used to people not helping us. Then when it happens, we're just like, don't even know what to do, you know, and it might be down the road. It might be six months. It might be a couple years later. Something like, you know, this one time I had this interaction with you and like that has resonated with me. And it's nice. It's nice to know that when you've made an effort to have a positive impact, to find out sometimes that that effort wasn't misplaced. Yeah. And it's it's good practice. And this was hard to learn, especially for folks that are growing up with social media where, you know, a lot of your identity kind of is becomes or your, you know, your self-affirmation is based on another person's response. Um, It is good practice to be like, I am saying this, I am doing this regardless of a response. I am, uh, I've returned wallets that I've found like on the ground, like while, while cycling. And like, I don't care whether or not you say thank you, or I don't care about your response. I am just returning this wallet. And my mom returned a wallet. She connected with the person. She did this whole thing and, and she found them. They met up and the woman didn't even say thank you. She just was like, Oh, like she hadn't even realized that she lost it and was like, okay. And then just turn And my mom was so upset. She didn't even, I'm like, but did you return the wall just for her to say thank you? Right. Like, <laughs> right? No, and so and so it can sting a little bit because you want to feel recognized for what you do, but it can also be very freeing to say, "I don't give a shit what your response is going to be." Yeah. I think that this resume builder might be helpful for people, so I'm going to put it out there, and people are like, "This is actually a terrible resume." Okay. Don't use it. Don't share it. Like people liked it. It got shared like 700 times. That's really great. I hope it helped 700 individual people, but like maybe it didn't. Maybe people were sending it around laughing. I actually 
don't care. I actually don't care. Like what I put on my social media is actually more of a practice for me. Uh, I'm writing out reminders. I'm archiving ways that I felt about this so that I can look back and be like, remember when you thought the world was ending and then it didn't? Remember when you survived that worst moment and now you live another day to see another worst moment? What a privilege that is. Like, you know, I think divorcing yourself from a person's response uh, keeps your ego in check and gives you the confidence to say, you know, you're not asking whether or not this person wants to hear what I have to say. You're not offering unsolicited advice, but you are expressing an experience you've had that you are putting out there for people to have what they will or not have at all. Uh, And I think that's a good practice. And that's what I try to practice. Um, because that, you know, again, keeps my ego in check and then also keeps me moving personally. So I think thinking about all of this, I think we have a lot to say. And I think we'd be doing an injustice to the audience if we said we're not going to try to continue this conversation. So maybe thinking that this is something we can kind of come back to periodically and, and keep developing this and other ideas is there anything that you as an athlete are thinking about this year? And if you haven't, obviously that's fine. But is there anything that you're thinking about this year that you maybe are trying to approach differently or develop in a new direction that maybe as we maybe periodically reconvene and discuss that that could be a thread that we can kind of come back to and sort of discuss maybe either at the beginning or the end of a pod and sort of update people like what's something that people can sort of look for and something that maybe we can sort of track as you go through your, your upcoming competitive cycle. Mm, This is a great question. You know, I've been thinking a lot about how I want to race this year. And by that, I mean how I conceptualize racing. Um, There was a point where I was quite competitive with other people. And when I made the jump to a higher level, uh, that competitiveness and wanting to get paper results um, was a kind of pressure that ended up paralyzing me and I was able to do nothing. Uh, And so I had to kind of break that all down and then do it just for fun, just for fun. Um, which means not always racing this, the smart way, but the way that gave me light, which was attacking or, you know, being crazy or whatever, right. Going off the front. Um, and then at the beginning of this past season, I was like, you know, it would be nice to get some like paper results. Right. And I, and I kind of go back and forth. I do this like pendulum swing of, trying to get paper results, putting too much pressure on myself and then not even performing well. And then just swinging all the way over to, to I'm just going to have fun and then not being super strategic. And I was finding a better middle ground towards the end of this past season where I'm like, "Hmm, I'm having fun. I'm being strategic and I'm able to execute my job without putting too much pressure on myself. I think this season I want to start out there so that by the end of the season, I may have, you know, the, the privilege and the opportunity to stand on a step of the podium because of the trust and the hard work of my team. And because I was able to find a balance of, of 
wanting to do well and feeling that competitive drive that many high performing athletes feel without uh, sucking all the life and the fun out of this sport. And so I think, so, so it's a hard thing to follow along because sometimes that progress happens and you don't see it on the paper results. And so I can't anchor that in a paper result. Um, uh, I must, I must put that into the job description I'm given before the race and executing that job satisfactorily. So this is a disjointed answer. It's a little bit all over the place, but it's because I'm still trying to, to suss out a succinct way to think about it. But I guess it would be to get results without putting my, putting pressure on myself to get results. Well, I think that's a great answer because I think that opens the door for something that becomes really interesting to explore. And who knows, maybe coming back to this space and having the chance to be reflective, maybe that will help with that process. So I've enjoyed our conversation immensely, and I'm hoping that we can have some opportunities to have more conversations down the road certainly through this season. So thank you so much, Paige, for your time. Thank you. This has been awesome. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode here on Black Cat's Run. If you've enjoyed my conversation with Paige Kostanecki, check her out on Instagram at WillBikeForCats. Check out her team, ButcherBox Cycling, at ButcherBox Cycling. And of course, you can follow us on at Black Cats Run. Stay tuned for more episodes as we go throughout the year, talking to different individuals about their athletic experience, past, present, and future. We'll catch you next time.